It is, it's me, it's TRG, the rambling gambler, a vest wearing, ring bearing, son of a son of a salesman. And this is our Casino Combat Podcast. Welcome to episode 27. Look, I should have something really pithy or snappy or whatever to say here, and I really don't. But I do think this will be an interesting episode, so let's hit it. Gentlemen, non-binary persons, ladies, the ghost of Elvis down on Union Avenue. This podcast discusses casinos and gambling. Do not gamble with money you cannot afford to lose. Do not gamble with money you need to pay your bills. My past performances are not indicative of anyone's future results, including my own. If you have a gambling problem, contact your local problem gambling hotline. If you do not know your local problem gambling hotline number, send an email to help at casinocombat.com. We will find that number for you, and we will make it available to you. Everything I'm going to share with you in this podcast is based in fact names and dates have been altered to protect the innocent and the guilty minor items unrelated outcomes may be omitted in the interest of brevity and clarity okay let's run down the podcast basics first let's get all this quick housekeeping stuff out of the way there are games in the podcast and prizes to go with the games we've had one winner already we're looking for nine more so victory is possible this is not an un an unsolvable challenge anyone if you're interested in playing and have not listened to episode 22 that's the episode that explains the game the rules the the other game everything involved if you need the basics of the core concepts we have a casino combat boot camp playlist on the youtube channel that teaches all of those ideas of course we spell combat and boot camp with a k for fiduciary reasons Much to my personal surprise, I created and used a slot machine strategy that seems to work. Which shouldn't be true, that shouldn't be a thing, but hand to God, it seems to be a thing. It makes me some money every month while generating free slot play, which makes me more money, and tier points, and imaginary casino money that I can spend on things. And since I want to share exactly what I do, as closely and transparently as possible, to what actually happens... I wrote up the details of my slot strategy in a small little ebook. Honestly, we're probably being more honest if we call it a pamphlet. And it's free, okay? I am not some guy on the internet that's trying to get you to send me $49.95 for 25 pages and promising you that you're going to win the world. If you want a copy, send me an email via trg at casinocombat.com and in the subject line includes the word <laughs> oh there i go and in the subject line include the words slot tactics and i will email you a link to download the book what else what else what else um yeah oh wait with the help of billy with the great last name and t-rex we are active on social media twitter instagram facebook all the links to all of those resources are on the top of the casino combat webpage I am always grateful for likes, shares, subscribes, comments, reviews. All that depends on what what platform you use to to receive the podcast. And look, if I'm being honest, I could use some Instagram follows, folks. I mean, everyone needs Instagram follows. I get that. But my kids are doing so much better than I am with their brands on that platform. And that's not a surprise, of course. They're of the right generation for it. But look, it's kind of becoming a little bit of a contest. I mean, more between them than me, because I'm just, I'm losing that badly. So, you know, if you could spare an Instagram follow for Gambler Ramblin' on Instagram, that that would be great. And once again, that uh, that icon is, is on the main page of the website. Okay, well that shortened everything up nicely. I think we went from uh, covering that information in two pages to covering that information in about half a page. 
so this week, uh, what are we going to do in this episode? What is episode 27 going to be about? Actually, I have a really neat core concept segment for you. At least I think it's really neat. Obviously, I hope you do too. And I'm going to explain... <laughs> explain, that's easy for me to say. I'm going to explain in detail why a common winning blackjack technique is not part of casino combat core concepts. In the travel segment, I'm mostly going to tell you about the second day in Las Vegas and the gambling results there on that second day. Um, and then a little bit of stuff about some local gambling that I did this week as well. And I guess let's kind of make this a bit of a, a theme episode. So in the VIP lounge, I'm going to share a story about a New Year's Eve trip Mrs. TRG and I took last year. And we saw some of the blackjack skills that I'm going to talk about in the core concepts really slickly and expertly uh, put into practice. And, and I think there's some, uh, some fun to be had there and, and also some interesting information and observations. All right, we got everything explained. We've got a plan established for the episode. Let's start with that core concept segment. Okay, let me review the core concepts of Casino Combat for everyone, just real quickly. Learn to play a casino game with a minimum house advantage. Learn a betting strategy that includes both progressive and regressive concepts. Have a bankroll of money you can afford to lose that is large enough for the size of bets you choose to make. Get a player's card from the casino. Play your game of choice until you've won a set amount that is small and manageable. For example, use $150 to win $150 and leave the table. If you lose two-thirds of what you started with at the table, leave the table. Repeat the process over the course of the month. Try to win the month. Don't try to win the table or the day. Usually, you'll have a profit after expenses at the end of the month. But if you don't, a month here, a month there, keep the losses small and make up what you lost and spent with comps and benefits and gifts from the casino. There you go. Simple, right? Straightforward. Easy to do. If you've been listening to previous episodes, you know that my primary game of choice is Blackjack. And that's my choice because even though Casino Combat works just as well on Baccarat Roulette and some craps wagers, I play Blackjack because the house advantage is smaller than at the other games and because the bankroll required for craps is meaningfully larger than the bankroll for Blackjack. And you also know if you've been listening that I can and have counted cards successfully in the past. So... Why isn't card counting, which is sometimes called advantage play, why isn't it a part of casino combat? Why isn't why have we gotten to episode 27 and other than some stories that I think are entertaining and amusing and maybe have some good lessons in them, why why haven't I been telling you you need to count cards? Why isn't card counting at blackjack a definitive part of of this whole thing that I've been talking to you about for half a year now? That is a great question. That will be a great observation on your part if you've had that thought. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. That exact thing. The reasons why card counting is not a significant part of, of casino combat. So let's start with a basic understanding of, of counting cards in the game of blackjack. There are a variety of counting systems for blackjack, but most come down to mentally tracking the amount of large cards and small cards remaining to be played before the cards are shuffled, and making larger bets when more large cards remain in the cards to be played. And the reason for that is that more large cards remaining translates to more 19, 20, and 
blackjack, natural blackjack, 10 ace hands being dealt. Now those could be dealer hands or those could be player hands, but they still work out for the player in the long run. And here's why. If I bet $10 and lose to a dealer's blackjack because I have 20, the house takes my $10. And if on the next hand when I bet $10, I win and I have a blackjack, the dealer pays me $15 of the house's money. Well, or $12 if I'm ignorant, or, ignorant enough to play a game where blackjack only play, pays 6 to 5. But either way, in some fictional world where I just sit with a dealer and we trade blackjacks back and forth, the house is taking $10 of my money and then giving me $15, and then taking $10 of my money and then giving me $15. So that's why even as a, as a really good card counter, we're fine with the risk of a larger bet and getting a 20 and the dealer getting 21 because once again over the long run this is going to work out in, all, in our favor. And that's exactly what we want and that's exactly what a card counter is looking for. So clearly look, at a, at a basic level this is pretty easy, right? I mean I hope so. If we're playing blackjack and it's, and it's played with one deck of 52 normal playing cards, there are four aces and there are 16 10 value cards. We got 20 cards out of 52 that we've got to mentally keep track of. And I told you the story early on in the life of this podcast about the time that Mrs. TRG and I, in you know air quotes, broke um, a casino game. It was a single deck game, and all we had to do was determine how many tens and aces were dealt in the first hand and adjust our bets accordingly for the second hand. Easy stuff, mathematically solid, not hard to do. And you may also recall that the house advantage at blackjack is roughly 0.30%, depending on the exact rules at the exact casino at the exact table. But here's the thing. With proper card counting technique, that small house advantage of 0.30% becomes a player advantage of roughly 1%. That's correct. A good card counter reverses the house advantage and creates a player advantage and should consistently win 1% over time over the long run. But card counting's been around forever at this point. Well, 50 years-ish, forever. And casinos obviously know all this and they've adjusted, right? So correctly counting a six-deck or an eight-deck game is significantly more involved than counting a single-deck game. You know, we're not going to just sit there and kind of watch the cards and mentally go, okay, there's about this many tens and this many aces left. We're going to need to do something a little bit harder. We're going to need to do a little more work. Um, And the difficulty of the task of counting is just one small challenge among a variety of challenges that a card counter faces in dealing with the modern game as it exists today. So let's look at some of those modern challenges next. Let's suppose you decide to become a card counter. So first you need to learn perfect basic strategy. And then you need to learn a counting system perfectly. And most counting systems include a variation of basic strategy that you apply depending on the current count. So here's a great example of this. If we're using just basic strategy, we're not counting cards, we don't have that extra piece of information, and we get two 10 value cards, the strategy chart is going to tell us just to be done. Take our 20, hopefully take our win. We don't want to do anything, right? But suppose that you have those two 10 value cards and the dealer has a six showing and you know based on your count that most of the remaining cards are 10 value cards. Now the better play 
is to split those tens and make more hands and get more money on the table and you've got a larger bet out because you've been counting cards. Or let's flip it around. You have a 10 and a 6 and the dealer's showing a 2. Now, if you know most small, mostly small cards are what remain in the deck, the correct play here, depending on the count, can be to hit instead of stand. So you learn basic strategy and accounting system and a set of changes to basic strategy based on the current count and a wagering system based on the current count as well. And I'll tell you from experience that doing this quickly and fluidly with a high level of accuracy at your kitchen table is tough. It takes a lot of practice to, to develop that level of skill. And doing it in a casino while looking natural and having conversations and dealing with interruptions that happen in the game and the beverage servers that come by and the floor that comes by and wants to talk to you and all of those things is another level of difficult compared to doing it at your kitchen table. But with practice, it can be done. And now you need a bankroll, right? And the bankroll calculation that you're going to have is going to vary from counting system to counting system, but a good basic rule of thumb, uh, the thing that a good card counter will tell a beginner is take the amount you're going to bet as your basic bet and then multiply it by $1,000. So if you're going to play $5 tables, you need $5,000. Well, there's not very many $5, 3 to 2 blackjack tables available these days. I have to do some research to find one. I, I don't remember the last time I saw one of those, maybe outside of a church carnival. And based on what I'm seeing here in North America, realistically, you're going to need a, a $15 unit size minimum to really have some, some properties available to you to be a card counter. So a bankroll of $15,000 could get you started at a lot of casinos here in North America. But it will be a lot easier to get started if you could put together a bankroll based on a $25 unit. That's a $25,000 bankroll. And to be honest, the reality where I live, if you really want your best chances of success, you want a two-deck game. You don't want a six-deck game or an eight-deck game. Two-deck game, much, much easier to count. And the only places that I find two-deck games, if I find them at all, is in high-limit rooms starting at about 50 bucks a hand. So, best chance of success, you really need a $50,000 bankroll. But the goal is to be a card counter and to make that easy money, right? So you learn and you practice and you pull together the 50000 that you're going to invest and you're going to start getting that 1% return on investment. You are ready to get started. You are ready to be a card counter. And guess what? The house knows everything I just told you. They know all of it. And they don't have to let you count cards. Counting cards isn't illegal. It is completely legal for you to do it. But it's also perfectly legal for the casino to tell you that you can't gamble there. Or you can't gamble on blackjack on their property. Or in extreme cases, you can't set foot on their property again without getting arrested for trespassing. So to be a card counter, not only do you need to do all the things I've already told you, but to be successful, you also need to manage all of that other stuff that the house is doing to make sure you don't count cards. You've got to fool them to get that 1% return. So what do you do? First, you don't use a player's card. I mean, player's card gives the house your name and your personal details. 
And the last thing you want as a card counter is for someone to know who you are and where to find you. And as I said, you need to be aware of how the house is reacting as you play. You maybe need to put on a show while doing all the other things I've described so that they don't suspect you as much. And at the same time, you kind of need to be prepared to leave really quickly if they start acting in a suspicious fashion. So, let's do a quick story time break, okay? Just right here in the middle of, of this, the monologue, if you will. Um, let me tell you about what it's like when you're doing this in the real world. Years and years and years ago, I'm with Mrs. TRG. We're technically on vacation in Las Vegas, and we're just roaming the strip. But I'm also using basic card counting whenever we play. And I don't know, we were in some really low roller spot, and I'm no, no, you know, <laughs> no criticism to low roller spots. Low roller spots are fun, and they're fine, and that's, that's not what I mean. I'm just trying to, once again, theater a mind, kind of show you, kind of, so low roller spot, I think maybe slots of fun, actually, which is uh, down by Circus Circus on the Las Vegas Strip, um, as you head toward downtown. Uh, that sounds about right. So let's assume it was slots of fun. And I'm playing a $5 hand at a $2 minimum table. And so already I'm bi a bit of a bigger player for this property at, at this particular point in time. And I'm doing fairly well and I'm getting some good counts. And I'm getting my bets up to $25 or $30. So that's a 6 to 1 range. And honestly, that is one of the things that uh, casinos look for. And I knew that, but I thought that looking like a tourist, acting like a tourist, drinking like a tourist, and having a wife with me like a tourist would be kind of enough camouflage to throw them off, and particularly to throw them off at a place like Slots of Fun. But as we're playing, a second floor person arrives in the pit, and he looks like he's there for a while, and then the phone rings, and he answers it, and he's standing in the center of the pit talking to somebody about something. And then a few minutes after that, the phone rings again, and another phone conversation happens. And then a security guard, who'd basically been watching the entrance when we walked in and the whole time, kind of changes his position, comes closer to the pit, and he's clearly watching uh, Mrs. TRG and myself. And then a third floor person shows up and I'm starting to realize something's up because we've got three different floor supervisors for a pit that is four blackjack tables and a roulette wheel. And that, that really doesn't seem right. And then an off-duty LVPD officer that none of us had noticed, that I hadn't noticed, that my wife hadn't noticed, um, comes from the back of the building and he's standing by a slot machine, you know, 10 yards, 15 yards behind us, but he's clearly watching us too. And I've sorted this all out, I think, in my head, and I decide that we should quickly wrap things up. So we're coloring up our chips, and we're getting right ahead of the cage, and one of these three-floor people needed to run this pit of four blackjack tables and a roulette table um, says, so, are, are, are you folks from here in Las Vegas? And I say, oh, no, we're just, you know, we're in town on vacation, and the floor says, oh, well... Where are you staying? And I tell him whatever the name of the casino was. And he says, we might all be happier if you did your gambling there instead of here. And we go cash our chips, but okay, right? Message received. You figured it out and you'd really prefer I didn't come back. And you're probably going to make things a little more difficult if I do come back. And so that's just a very minor example, right? I'm a minor player in a big town that sees this stuff all the time. It's Vegas. Plenty of other places to play. 
It isn't a big deal. Eh, no harm, no foul, right? But let's translate that all out of Las Vegas and into the larger world. And let's assume I don't mean Atlantic City. Um, so let's review where we're at, right? You're a card counter. You've honed your skills. You've invested 50000 with a goal of a 1% return over time. You live somewhere in North America other than Las Vegas or Atlantic City. How many casinos can you really apply your skills in? I mean, I consider myself pretty well positioned in this regard. I have a local casino 30 minutes away. I can travel two hours along any major highway with a vehicle I already own that I already have for other purposes, right? I can go north, south, east, west, um, about, as I said, about two hours, and I can find blackjack tables with decent rules and, and decent limits. I've got a total of seven options, right? If I stretch that distance another 30 minutes, I add another three casinos to the mix. If I extend my travel range to four hours, I add another two properties. So, as I said, well positioned. I've got 12 properties within four hours. And that's a lot. But still, I better be really careful. I better be really good at not getting caught. Because I get caught at the local casino and I'm banned for card counting. And the easy option, the get off my couch and go make some money option, it goes away. And so now I suppose I go to what I consider my home casino, Casino 2, and, and I get banned there. Okay, maybe it's only that property. It could be. But maybe it's all the My Choice properties in the region. Because Casino 2 is a My Choice property. I mean, that can happen. They can alert everybody in the region that they've banned me. And they can circulate my picture. And that takes five more properties off the list. So I've lost half the list with getting caught two places. Look, you see the problem. If the goal is to use blackjack as a profitable investment by counting cards, you have to be able to play. And if the house catches you, you can't play. Or you could play, I guess. I mean, you could risk arrest by wearing disguises and growing or cutting your hair. And if you're a guy, you can beard, no beard, mustache, no mustache, change your clothes, and you can still play. But that arrest thing is still probably in the back of your mind the entire time. Look, all of this is why many card counters, professionals, they fly into an area, they rent a car, they roam from casino to casino, they take a chunk here and a chunk there, six, seven, eight hours a day at one casino, then move someplace else, six, seven, eight hours a day at the next casino, and they do that for weeks or, or months, and they're never really playing at the same place very often, if, if at all. Okay, so that's a long narrative on how card counting works with blackjack, and it does work. If you develop the right skills and have the right bankroll, you can make consistent significant money being a blackjack card counter. But it's hard. It's physically hard. You need to play many hours at a time. You need to be mentally sharp all the time, on all the time. It's mentally hard. It's mentally taxing. And because you're not only managing all that math in your head, but you're also managing the environment the whole time, or at least monitoring the environment and being aware of it, hyper aware of it. And you have to be able to mentally handle losing 15, 20,000 of your $50,000 bankroll. I mean, losing day after day after day, 5,000 here, 8,000 there. You've done it for three days. You've lost 15 grand or more, and but you still got plenty of money and you know you'll get your 1%, but Try sleeping at night, 
when you just in three days lost $15,000. And once again, I know there are people out there that go, $15,000? I spent that at the shopping mall this weekend on three bags. I, I get all that. But for most people, that's a chunk, right? And if that's not a chunk, you're probably not listening to this podcast. And on top of all of this, on top of all the hard physical part of it, the hard mental part of it, the, the all the stuff that's going on, the potential for losing before you come back, you have to be willing to get barred at various casinos and just go, eh, that's fine. I got more I can go find. So look, I'm not against card counting as an approach to winning. I'm not. It's perfectly valid. It's great. I love hearing stories about it. I love telling stories about it. I even love doing it once in a while when the time is right. But for me, over time, I realized it was just too much work. It was just too much risk. And it wasn't much fun. It really wasn't. Plus, it tended to interfere with my regular life, right? It just really, you couldn't do it and just be a dad who coached soccer and wrestling and ran a business and had clients and had family events. And it was just, it was difficult to do it in any consistent, profitable way. And I also realized that I was missing out on all these other benefits, right? I was paying for my own rooms, often the cheapest I could find. And I was paying for my own meals, again, the cheapest I could find. I was treating casinos as an enemy to be defeated instead of as a friend and an ally that would make things easier for me. And so I decided to create a new approach, an approach that would take advantage of the house's generosity, an approach that admittedly defines winning, air quotes winning, in a somewhat unique way, an approach that didn't require a significant amount of practice and time and most importantly money to implement an approach I could use repeatedly at the same casino over and over. An approach that, as I said last week, I think most people can do. In fact, as Casino Wisdom number 35 teaches, casino combat isn't about beating the game of blackjack or roulette or baccarat or, (laughs) apparently, uh, slot machines. It's not about beating any of those. Those are just tools. Casino combat is about winning the game of casino gambling. Gabriel recently pointed out to me that you won't be very successful at the game of golf if you only have one club in your bag. For me, card counting applied to blackjack is just one club in the golf bag that I use when I go to casinos. In fact, that's the club that you only use in those rare, weird situations. You're hitting in weeds with a little bit of water and you need to get the ball at a certain angle and then you call for that rare... Yeah, I'm not a golfer, folks, but you call for the 12-degree wedge, which is in your bag for just these situations. And look, in those situations, it's super valuable. But most of the time, you don't need the 12-degree wedge. And if that's a poor golf term, I'm sorry. As I said, I don't know golf. Um, Look, you don't need to take my word for all this. That is the great part. You do not need to accept a word of what I've just told you at face value. You don't have to. Now, look, I'll tell you with a fair amount of pride that I figured all of this out on my own. Frankly, I figured most of it out when there was no internet. I just had books and my experiences. But recently, I read a great book called Advanced Advantage Play. And I want to share two things from that book with you, from true experts who validate everything I've just told you. First, in the foreword of the book, Bill Zender, who has a documented decades-long career playing blackjack, and blogging about it. And in the foreword of the book, he writes, 
the North American gaming industry loses more money from bad promotions than from cheating, table game theft, card counting, and all other forms of advantage play. So my instinct to extract benefit from the promotion side when small losses happen is confirmed by an expert of much greater stature than myself. And then the other quote I want to share from you is the author. And the author is Elliot Jacobson, who has a PhD from uh, University of Nevada, I believe. Uh, don't hold me to that one. But he has a PhD in gambling theory. And he has both counted cards and has advised casinos on how to protect their games from card counters. He doesn't take sides. He just puts the facts out there for everybody. And in chapter 5, he writes, One of the largest leaps a young player makes early in their career is the realization that ordinary blackjack counting is an essentially worthless pursuit. There you go. Look, I made that leap as a young player. In fact, I made that leap as a young player, and then I went looking for the answer because I believed there was an answer possible. An answer that it took me a decade plus to figure out. An answer that I really enjoy sharing with all of you in the form of casino combat, which for financial reasons we spell with a K. And that, my friends, is why casino combat doesn't rely on card counting. <laughs> okay, here we go. Part two of the Las Vegas trip. Let's ramble. I'll get to the results and experiences from the second part of the Las Vegas trip pretty quickly here. But first, even with a short week after getting back from Las Vegas, I did do a bit of additional gambling locally. Well, a little bit. Um, I picked up some freebies and uh, played some free slot play and got to catch up a little bit with Gabriel on one of my visits. And then uh, on a different visit, kind of a time of day I don't normally get down there. It was great. Um, I caught up with Terrific Tina and and Proud Papa on that visit, and I, I really didn't win much money. I didn't lose much money, and didn't do a whole lot of gambling. But I got to see both of them. I haven't. Uh, I saw Proud Papa once during the pandemic. I, I haven't seen Tina uh, since things closed down. I used to see her almost once a week, probably. Hey, look, you all know Gabriel at this point. You you've met him. You're familiar with him. And I've told the story in a previous episode about how I've gotten to know Proud Papa over the years. Um, his son is a major star in professional wrestling, and as a result, Proud Papa every once in a while pops up on my TV, and and so that's great too. That's always fun. You know, you see him, and then a month later, you run into him at the casino, and, and that's always a good time. And we usually win when we run into each other. We didn't get to gamble this time. We were kind of going different directions, but I did get to see him. But terrific Tina, she's another story and an interesting story of an interesting character in my life and an interesting character in the podcast to an extent. Um, I first met her, and she was a dealer at my local casino when it opened. And she told me when we first met that I had the same first name as her ex-husband. And that even though she hated her ex-husband, and I had the same name, she still wanted me to win. And I lost. And so the next time she was my dealer, I also lost. And the time after that, I also lost. And she always felt bad. And she always said it wasn't that I shared a first name with her ex-husband. But for whatever reason, I lost again the next time she was my dealer. And that was kind of the last time she was my dealer. Um, you know, after that, uh, if she didn't have anybody at her table, I'd stop and talk to her a bit and catch up a little bit. 
Um, but I didn't play at her tables anymore. It just, it made sense, right? Not her fault, not my fault, random chance, but five times is five times too many. Um, so anyway, in the course of being a dealer, she met a gambler and she met that gambler and he had plenty of money and he gave her a job and they started dating and she stopped dealing. And now he's a gambler and she's a gambler and I'm a gambler and Mrs. TRG is a gambler and we're all gamblers in the same building. So inevitably she meets Mrs. TRG and we laugh about how often I would lose if she was my dealer and we'd all have drinks together in the VIP lounge or we'd gamble at the same tables and I met her new guy and sometimes we'd all get invited to the same thing and then sometimes every once in a while I'd just be part of his entourage because he'd have access to a party or a process or uh, something that I didn't have pro access to because he was that far up above me in the in the perk system. And uh, But it was always, oh, no, no, he's with us. Bring him along. <laughs> so we had some fun doing stuff with them in that fashion. And in fact, a few years ago, um, randomly, we all end up in Las Vegas in the same hotel, in the same casino, for the same range of days, and uh, and we hung out with them a bit there. So um, great to run into her. Particularly, you know, it's it's been what eight months now, nine months now. Um, you know, good to see her after all that time. So look, that's the biggest part of my local gambling, and I realized that was more story than results. Little bit of gambling, lost a little bit of money. Saw my friends, picked up some free stuff, and if you don't know by now, for me. Being in a casino and seeing my friends is what I can is like something I consider a benefit to this side hustle. It's it's some of that extra goodness all mixed in with everything. Okay, so not much to report locally. Let's get in the DeLorean. Let's get it up to 88 miles an hour, and let's go back in time and discuss the second part of my Las Vegas trip. And I'm glad I did things this way because I was concerned when I was planning the Vegas trip that additional lockdowns might be coming. And sure enough, this week. The governor of a neighboring state closed all the casinos there for at least three weeks. And that means my home casino is closed. And for the purposes of our games, that doesn't matter. It doesn't change which casino you're looking for. You're still looking for Casino 2 and trying to tell me the name of that. But my home casino is off limits for at least a few weeks. To recap quickly for anyone who didn't happen to hear last week's podcast, I went to Las Vegas with multiple goals. I wanted to get enough tier credits to reach tier three, which is diamond in the Caesars reward system. I was real close and that level is a level that will provide thousands of dollars of comps and benefits in 2021. If I can just manage to get, you know, this last small chunk of points that I need to get. I also wanted to get content for the podcast in, thing, in case things started to lock down again. I wanted to have results to share with all of you. I wanted to add Pandemic Vegas to my Vegas memories. I wanted to experience it for myself. And of course, I wanted to have fun and hopefully make some money. So last week I told you that from the evening I arrived until the end of day one, I won a little bit more than two days pay before expenses. I'll give you a full total next week. We'll get full results next week when we got everything in front of us. So day two. Day two was a Sunday. And Sundays during the NFL season in Las Vegas are usually a lot of fun. Everyone's wearing the jersey of their favorite teams. Normally the sports books are packed with people wagering and cheering. And the best part for me is that the games start at 10 a.m. And they're on all day. I usually have to wait until 1 o'clock in my time zone for games to start. So a quick tales from the vest. Just an observation. Um, even if you wear a black vest, 
over an NFL jersey, and walk if you walk around casinos, even though you're wearing an NFL jersey over that black biker vest, people will assume you are an employee and that you will be able to answer their questions. That is one of the things that I learned on that particular Sunday in Las Vegas. Look, so I wanted to try to do NFL Football Sunday, that thing I remember, and I wanted to try to do it, and, it during the pandemic, since that's where I was and that's what I'd normally prefer to do. And so I started out at the Flamingo Sportsbook because that's where I was staying, and all the seats were either taken or reserved because they only had 25% of the seats, so that makes sense. So I made my way over to the Cromwell, which is right next door, and a property that I just love. I mean, it's not very big. But that's a charm. That's not a complaint, at least not in my book. Okay, so at the back of their property, they have this small sports book. Maybe a total, uh, you know, they've got three betting stations and maybe a total of seating for 30 people. But a huge wall of televisions, well, one big, huge television divided into multiple rectangles, I guess. Um, but there's, again, no seats. Everything's either taken or reserved. And so I made a small bet on my favorite team and the game they were going to be playing. And I kind of realize as I'm trying to sort out what to do next, that right across the aisle, like four steps from the reserve seating, there's this bar tucked away in the corner of the casino with just a railing between it and the aisle. And then another rating, railing between the aisle and the, the screens in the sportsbook seating. And there's two bartenders and a waitress on duty. So score. Um, I'd seen plenty of closed bars at various casinos at this point in my trip, so that's always the first thing I was looking at, was was the place even open? And this one was, and that was great. I settled into this big leather chair facing all of the sports book screens. And there's maybe, I don't know, six, eight feet between me and the reserve seats in the sports book, and that's good. I want to be six to eight feet from everybody, right? And so at the outset, it's me and one other guy at a table well away from me and we got the entire bar to ourselves, and we got two bartenders, and we've got a wonderful waitress, and I kind of assume that I know what's what, right? Enough experience, enough background, you've probably already figured it out too, but I kind of figure I know how this is going to work, and so I, I wave over um, the, 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 the waitress that uh, I see standing there, and I learn that her name is Elise, and she's wonderful. And uh, I tell her that I want to start a tab and charge and charge everything to my room and that I'd like a cocktail and, and a glass of water. And sure enough, my instincts are correct. That was the key to hanging out there. People that just wanted to sit and watch the game, didn't have a player's card, didn't want to spend money, they were going to be asked politely to either get a player's card and spend some money or find someplace else to watch football. But that's more than great for me, right? As I said, you had to have a player's card and you had to spend money. And I was more than happy to do both of those things at reasonable levels to, to enjoy the atmosphere and to enjoy watching football um, with, with other people. So all good stuff. Um, should mention, uh, over time, I guess, you know, maybe like eight other people ended up hanging out in, in, the, in the bar with us. And there was one other rule, and that was we had to stay six feet apart. But that was fine. Everybody got a seat. Everybody got a seating area. Um, I did post some pictures uh, on my Instagram account, and you can see all this there if you're interested. But let me describe it a little bit for you. Let me do a little theater of the mind because I really did enjoy it. It really was such a great space. So it's broad daylight outside, right? 
it's 10 o'clock in the morning. Football's just starting. But the lights in this bar are way, 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 way down dark. And leather everywhere, dark woods, big heavy wooden tables. And I've got this big leather chair and a table for my drinks and plenty of space all around me. Every game is on TV. Once I've met Elise, drink service is quick. And just to top it all off, just that little extra bit to remind me of where I am and what's going on in one corner of my vision, not enough to be distracting, but I can enjoy it if I want to in this cool dark bar with all these sports going on, there is one doorway to the outside world and the lights that are really real, the daylight that's really real, and it completely frames a beautiful Christmas tree. Just an just that last little bit. If I really want a reminder of what time it is and what's going on and what's going on in terms of the holidays, there is a Christmas tree sitting right outside the door to the casino. Just, just great, right? So, oh, and by the way, my team won and I won my bet on the game. So money in my pocket um, that actually covered most of the bar bill when I got home. Got to find them when you find them, but that's my really unique pandemic Vegas memory. Um, I got some others, but that that's certainly one from this trip. And after the game, I did a little gambling at the, at the Cromwell. And then with the afternoon kind of in front of me, I got strategic. There is a My Choice property on the Strip, just one. And it's the Tropicana, which is all the way on the far end of the Strip, um, out by the airport. And I've been there a few times over the years. Um, mostly just if there were shows that we wanted to see that happened to be to happen to be at that casino. And I'm not even sure I've ever done much gambling there, if any. But I'm pretty sure at this point in my trip that I've got the Caesars tier credit stuff all on track. I'm in good shape, I think, with the tier credits. Obviously, I won't know till I finish it all up. But my instinct is that I, I'm pretty much okay on that. So I can do some other gambling some other places if it serves a purpose. So I take a cab down to the Tropicana and I do some gambling and I get some My Choice points. And obviously my hope is that a month from now, two months from now, I'll start to have some comps available there. And if I don't, that's fine. It was only one time and it was only, you know, one table. And I'll hit them again the next time. And maybe I'll do a little more. And eventually the comps will start coming and that'll be another property that I can explore and enjoy when I'm out in Las Vegas. So anyway... Did some gambling there while I was on that end of the strip. I also did some gambling at Excalibur and Luxor. Mostly just a couple slot machines just to, once again, get a few MGM points out in Las Vegas and see what that might generate in the future. A quick cab ride back to home base and then an evening of gambling at Cromwell and the Flamingo. And I finished up the day having played nine tables, three slot machines, and had a win of several days' pay to to add to add to my bankroll that sets the stage for next week's podcast the last full day in las vegas the last full day of gambling a decent amount of house money in my pocket um when i wrapped things up for the night so the questions that remain to be answered do i manage to hold on to or even expand that win do i win enough to cover all the expenses not just the meals and tips and the bar tab but the costs of the flight, the costs of the cabs, all of that kind of stuff. Do I do that? Do I get enough tier credits to reach Diamond? Next week, same bat time, same bat channel. I'll wrap up the details. I'll share the final results. 
I have some final stories and observations, some interesting people that I met, and we will have the answer to all those questions. Let's head to the VIP lounge. I'm going to do a little card counting theme uh, this week, uh, and I have a great story about that, and hopefully you'll find it fun and uh, informative. Let's go do that in the VIP lounge. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, a little bit of the bubbly. Our lounge is open. And it's self-serve. Sparkling water, artisanal soda, still water, handcrafted pop, IPAs, and high-end virtual bottles. All right here. I missed my favorite Vegas VIP lounges when I was there because they're all closed. But I'm grateful that we can enjoy our virtual VIP lounge. Pour something you enjoy and feel free to make that a non-virtual pour wherever you are. So last year, Mrs. TRG and I went to Las Vegas for New Year's Eve. And one afternoon, we're gambling at the Cromwell. Clearly, I enjoy the Cromwell. Um, And a young lady joined our table. It was just the two of us and she made the third. And she's well-dressed, but like law office or high-end accounting firm well-dressed. Not anything flashy or trashy or or anything of that nature and she bought in with a modest sum of money and she was betting 25 or 50 dollars a hand and she's a pretty good player her martini order was classic and sophisticated and detailed um and again exactly what i expected from the way she presented herself she told the dealer she was in town um for the holiday and she was in from texas and we all just kind of chit-chatted and played cards and again nothing unusual here and we get to the end of the shoe And a young man joins her, clearly her boyfriend, and he's a little more scruffily dressed and a little more rough around the edges, but this is Las Vegas. I I often joke that the dress code is women are all dressed up and men dress like bums and look like they don't have two nickels to rub together. I mean, Mrs. TRG and I once ate dinner at Kokomo's at the Mirage, which is a kind of a high-end place, and at another table there was a woman expensive beautiful dress really expensive shoes lots of jewelry even is wearing a tiara and the man that she's with is wearing an unbuttoned floral shirt shorts and flip-flops so once again this all looks right this all fits this all makes sense uh the dealer tells her boyfriend that he can sit down in an empty chair and he says no he's he's just watching he really doesn't know how to play and the dealer says, well, that's fine. I mean, unless somebody else wants to sit down, you can sit down. And he goes, no, nah, that's, that's okay. That's fine. I, I don't need to sit down. And he's just kind of standing behind her, leaning on her chair, looking bored, and she's playing. And we get to the start of another new shoe, and he pulls out $500 to buy in. But he doesn't want to sit down, and he just wants five black chips. So he continues to watch her play, and the conversation at the table continues. And I didn't even really particularly notice, but every once in a while, he would hand her some chips and she would put them under her green chips. Now look, folks, if I'm playing and I'm playing one or two green chips and I randomly add black chips, the normal procedure is for the dealer to announce to the pit boss, checks play, 
The same thing happens at a $100 table if you randomly mix in $500 or $1,000 chips. Why does this happen? It happens because the pit boss needs to be alerted to a large change in the wagering pattern. And he needs to know that because card counters look to do exactly that. They want to bump their bets up really big when the time is right because the count is right. But this call to the pit boss doesn't happen here. Often the dealer doesn't even realize that she's added the black chips. They just go from his hand, his pocket, and his hand to her hand, kind of almost out of the dealer's sight, and she puts them under. In fact, sometimes the dealer is not realizing that she's added the chips until he's paying out the hand. And I want to be clear, in the moment, I didn't notice any of that. I remembered it. I remember it now, but I didn't notice really any of it at the time. I, mean, I saw it happening. I saw the chips going back and forth. I saw the payouts. But the fact that the call wasn't happening really didn't register with me. Um, and so we're all just gambling and having fun. And the dopey boyfriend is kind of at the edge of the game and looking bored. And she's having fun and we're having fun. And at some point, the two of them start whispering. And she tells the dealer, several hands ago, I had an A7 and you shorted me two black chips on the payout. And our dealer looks confused, and she says, you only paid me four green. It should have been two black and two green. And he says, oh, okay. And he calls the pit boss over, and the pit boss says, okay, well, let's, let's find out. And she has the dealer pull the paddle that they use to stuff the money in the box and lay it flat on the table, which is the symbol for a table that's under video review. And it doesn't stop the game from going on. It just, it's, that's the symbol. That's how, they, how it works everywhere I've been. So she calls upstairs or wherever the security room is for them to review the footage. I always assume it's upstairs because the cameras are above me. So I just always assume it's upstairs. I guess that's a kind of silly assumption. Um, at this point, the dealer's apologizing and I'm being the wise elder, right? And I'm telling this young woman, don't worry. If they paid you wrong, it'll be made right. Don't worry about your money. This will all get sorted out. Um, and the game goes on for several more hands, and the pit boss comes back and says, no, she had an A7, and the house finished with 17, and she got paid two green, which was the amount that she had bet. And now the boyfriend gets involved, and he says, no, 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 not that Ace-7 hand. Three hands earlier, the Ace-7 hand where the house turned over a 9 under the 7 and busted. And at the time, I thought, well, that's oddly specific. I mean, who remembers that? And who remembers that just standing behind a game that you don't understand watching? And the pit boss is just looking annoyed and exasperated at this point. But another phone call is made, and another 10 minutes later, the, the pit boss comes over and says, yeah, the dealer had shorted them $150 on that hand. So the proper chips are paid out. And apologies are delivered, and the game continues. And eventually, the, the young couple leaves to get some food, and at some point, Mrs. TRG and I finish up, and, and we head out. And it's only later, as my wife and I are kind of talking back through the day, that it starts to hit me. Everything came together. The, specific, the specificity, <laughs> the specificity, there we go. I should maybe not write those words on paper if I can't say them properly, huh? Anyway, just how specific they were about analyzing the mistake and how much they knew. And I just went, with the chips being back, I was like, they were card counters. They were a card counting team. She was just playing basic strategy at first and looking like a tourist. And he arrives at the start of a new shoe 
and is doing the counting, and he managed to get all they, he, they, he, she gets as much credit as he does, obviously, but as a team, they were getting a whole lot more money on the table at the right time than I could get, ever get away with, and they're doing it because he just looks bored and like he doesn't really know what's going on, and he's just kind of handing her chips kind of by the table, under the table, I'm not, once again, casting aspersions, and she's just talking to us and talking to the dealer, and it's so casual and well-executed that some of the normal game protections don't even get executed properly, and then to top it off, they left with green and black chips. I don't know how much you know, and I don't know how much experience you've had, but in my experience, most casinos track the black chips, the $100 chips, at the level of the table. They count how they keep track of how many came in and they keep track of how many came out. They don't do that with green chips, the 25s, the red fives. They couldn't care less about the $1 chips, but they keep a light track at the table level of how many black chips came in and how many black chips came out. And once in a while at some properties, even the purple $500 chips are, are tracked at that level. But above a $500 chip, $1,000 chip, a $5,000 chip, when you show up to cash those at the cage, you're going to get asked where you got those chips, what table, what pit. And you're going to be asked for ID. And they're going to call the pit, and they're going to verify that you were there and you were playing, that you were paid out that much money. They will know who you are and what you want. These two worked right around all of that. They only had green and black chips. Nobody asks you any questions when you take green and black chips to the cage. I mean... They may ask you what game you were playing. They may congratulate you. They may do friendly stuff like that. But they're not asking for ID. Nobody asks me for ID when I take $300 to the cage in black and green chips. That doesn't happen. Now, look, clearly I don't know with 100% certainty that they were counting cards. But the evidence all points that way. And then one little thing to add on top of it. Over the course of the rest of our vacation, we saw them in several different casinos. A different casino each time we saw them, always seated at the same seat at the table, always playing blackjack, always the same configuration, her playing, him standing beside her or behind her with his hands in his pockets. Look, it certainly looked like they had a system and they were executing it very, very well. Frankly, without the strange mispaid hand and the review and the degree of detail they went into, I'd never have noticed it. It was only that little tiny tip-off that even let me know what was going on, and clearly, I don't think the house had any chance of catching them. No chance at all. They were doing it all right, and they are also doing it for fairly small stakes. If you are playing the casino chip game, there are 12 casino chips that you can find in this episode, from the beginning moment to the very ending moment, which we aren't to yet. If you find them and you want them confirmed, email them to me, and if you're right, we'll put you on a wall of fame on our website. Tip your waitresses, tip your bartenders, tip your dealers. If you're in casinos right now, folks, please do that. They really need it. They're really grateful. And if you have a great session, you can tip your casino coach. Go to anchor.fm slash casino combat. You know how to spell combat. I know you do. And you can make a donation. And obviously, I'd appreciate that. And I'd appreciate it as much for the donation as I would for the fact that you did so well that you had some extra that you thought you could send my way. I have spoken. Everything you heard here is true from a certain point of view. It's time for leaving, and I do hope you understand I was born a rambling man. If you have questions, send them to questions at CasinoCombat.com. If you have techniques to share, send them to what I do at CasinoCombat.com. Don't forget, we spell combat with a K. Love it, hate it, 
It don't matter. Please share with your family and friends. Goodbye, everybody.